The passage that we read this morning, which is we are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, passage you read this morning, I want to read it again. And uh, I want you to know this is one of the hardest passages to preach in our culture today, I believe. Um, we're in Matthew 5. If you have a Bible there in front of you, uh, please open it. Matthew five seventeen through 20, we're, con- we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the early, the, the, the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will, be, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Hard passage. Lord, we open this this morning and ask you to teach us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds. These hard sayings sometimes, Lord, that we don't get. Lord, they're not hard for you, and you're the one that gave them to us. Help us, Lord, to understand your word, your teaching from the mouth of Jesus. Help us, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a hard thing. I want to tell you a silly story to start it out. Is that okay? Will you listen to one of my silly stories? The story goes there with these two guys. They were what we used to call outlaws, scofflaws, you know, miscreants, whatever you want to call them, guys that just really don't care about doing what's right. And uh, they were enamored with tractor trailers. Uh, you know, we used to minister not far from 175, which is the largest one on I-95, of all these tractor trailers. So this means a lot. These, those guys, would, they'd go out there and they, they'd spend the night, but they'd leave their motors running, you know, how all that works. So well, these two guys, they go into this tractor trailer park, and uh, the story goes that they, 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 they one of those all-night tractor trailers. They go up and, and they see one that is the tractor trailer of their dreams. And they, wow, I'd love to just go try it. Now, they'd never driven one, never been in one. So they go up and they said, wow, that's really cool. And uh, one walked over and he said, let's get inside it. The other one said, whoa, I'm not sure we should do that. It's got to be a law against that. Uh, I don't know, but they did. They got into it. And then uh, George turns to Pete and he says, let's get in. And um, he says, nah, okay, we will. And there's no one around to stop us, so let's do it. Maybe it's against the law, but no one can stop. Wow. They get inside, and they said, this interior looks like a spaceship. And um, it's a split second. Both of them were just sitting right up in that, that seat in that luxurious high-tech cabin. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those, but it's really cool in there. I know some, some one or two in there have even driven those things. And he says, wow, what do you say? Let's take it for a spin. The motor's running. He says, whoa, I think that's probably against the law. We shouldn't do that. And he says, well, um, there's no one around to stop us. Let's just go ahead and do it. Uh, Let's go for it. So they do. They take off, and pretty soon they're zooming down the highway. And they're saying, wow, this is really cool. And, and they're just enjoying listening to the turbo diesel sing, and it, it's such a great thing. And then, but, but George says, uh-oh, I think we're in trouble now. 
He says, why? He says, it says up there the clearance is 14 feet 9 inches, and we're a seven, have a 17-foot trailer. He says, ah, there's no cops around. Let's go for it. You didn't get that, did you? <laughs> it is silly, isn't it? I told you it was a silly story. Some Christians think that the Old Testament law that many choose to ignore and some even say is dead is not something we have to pay any attention to anymore. Hmm. And in fact, they're saying Jesus has us covered. Let's just go for it. No cops around. Let's go for it. No one's going to be watching us, right? We can just break right on through that old law. Bah. Jesus has us covered. But Jesus didn't say that, did it? He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that begs a question. How does Jesus fulfill the law of the prophets? You know, I like what Peter wrote in the second letter about all of that. In his first letter, the folks were writing because they, they were in hard times and they were being persecuted. And they said, oh, my gosh, we're being persecuted. And, and Jesus has already come. Did he forget us? As he left, uh, now Peter's writing back to him in his, his second letter, and he's an old man, not long left in the world. And he writes to comfort them before his, his departure, and he tells them about the real Jesus that he experienced, if you remember, on the, uh, in the transfiguration on the mountains up there with John and James, where he, God had said to him, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. But Peter, Peter says, uh, I have something even better to tell you about Jesus Christ, the one that I've, I spent all this time with, the one who made me an apostle. You don't have to listen just to my, my experience or, or my testimony or James or John's. Go read the prophets. He points us back to the law. Peter does, just like Jesus did. Hmm. So what about this old law? We're, we're New Testament Christians, right? Hmm. You all love it when people say they're New Testament Christians because when they go to the New Testament, it points them back to the Old Testament. That makes them an Old Testament and a New Testament Christian, so they're Bible Christians. Amen? There we go again, right back to that same one. Okay. If you want to have the strongest confidence in Jesus, Peter says, go read what the prophets from hundreds of years ago said perfectly. And, and Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God in the Old Testament find their yes in him, Jesus Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Been there all along, the Old Testament being fulfilled. That says it all, folks. All the promises of God are in this, this wonderful person of Jesus Christ. All the promises of God from the beginning. And, with Jesus, and that's what Jesus is saying to us right here in this passage in Matthew, isn't he? If you'll read through the Old Testament, you'll see the fulfillment by Jesus' uh, a prop of Jesus' life is really astounding. He fulfilled more, you know, people tried to count them, all the prophecies that he fulfilled just in his life from the Old Testament. And, I, you know, I've heard hundreds and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, one about Old Testament says he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judah. It says he's going to be born of a virgin. Um, and the person that Jesus is really wonderfully described in Isaiah that we just finished reading not too long ago. In Psalm 22, it, it tells us what's going to happen on the cross. Psalm 22, a long time ago. You know, I haven't confirmed it, but one author wrote that there are over 700 
Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ and just the records that we have in the New Testament. And, uh, you know, understanding that that is the law and the law was given to a nation. We have an advantage here, don't we? We have those laws because we're on this side of the cross. And if you know Jesus Christ, you have a personal relationship with him. You walk with him daily. He's in our lives every day. And that old law, we learn to love. What are you talking about? Pastor, you've lost it now. We do. We learn to love the law. If you're a real believer, you want to do it. You want to do it because God gave it to us. We'll get to that here in a minute. It is to show our, what kind of love we are to have for God. Let me tell you what. Our God, I love singing those songs earlier. He's an amazing God. All powerful. Oh, anyway, when you start and you dwell on that, I just, I stop singing. You know, you do. He's, he's such a powerful God. And he is the God of love. And he's the God that loves you. We miss that. We don't get that. Yeah, he's a God that's going to discipline because he loves us, because he loves his children. What was happening on the cross was that our Savior and our Lord and Jesus, the Son of God, was enduring in his body the penalty of the sin of being separated from God, but it was prescribed by the holy law. It said that those sins had to be thrown into hell. And we couldn't do it ourselves because we're tied to them, right? We have to give them to Jesus. The wages of sin is death. The law says that all sin must pay the penalty death. And then Jesus comes along and says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And one of the ways that the laws have to be fulfilled is the punishment of sin. It has to be carried out. Oh, there's no way to go before God. Boy, there's a deal breaker, isn't it? Huh? How are we going to do that? The punishment is death, and, and you know what? That's why Jesus died. Jesus died for you and me. God made the law, and he could not undo it. You know I would say? Remember that old thing when we were growing up? They used to say, can you think of anything God cannot do? <laughs> he cannot undo his law. He gave it to us. To show us him. To show us who he is so that we can understand who he is. And God's law has been absolutely fulfilled because he has punished sin in the holy, spotless, blameless body of Jesus Christ. The sin has been demolished. Sent away. Jesus died with it. Christ is fulfilling the law of the cross. And unless you understand the cross and Christ's death on it, in strict terms of fulfilling the holy law then you really can't understand what Jesus did. Shocker? This is kind of shocking stuff, isn't it? When you read the Old Testament with all of its symbols and, and types, like, you know, like the burnt offerings and the showbread and, and all those things we've been reading, if you've been reading along with us through the Old Testament, you know, we, we, we faced all of that and we've looked at all of that. Maybe we don't understand all of it in detail, but we've all faced it, hadn't we? It's been kind of neat to study that. And find out what all that really means. And the great truth is that Jesus Christ by his death and in, in all that he has done is an absolute fulfillment of all these types. We saw that when we studied Hebrews, didn't we? We've seen that as we've gone through the Bible. 
He's the high priest. He's the offering. He's the sacrifice. And he's presented his blood in heaven to God so that all of the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in him. Wow. And on the side of, this side of the cross, we go even farther in that he fulfills the law in us and through us by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of the sin and death. For God has done what the law, uh, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Did you get that? That's the key to the whole thing. We don't walk by the flesh. Oh, yeah, we still get pulled by it, you know, or it's pulling. But we don't, we don't walk by the flesh. We walk by the law, by Jesus Christ, his righteousness, right? It's inside of us. And Paulus is telling us that one of the reasons uh, died, uh, but he is linking the, the way Jesus fulfills the law in himself and the way he fulfills the law in us. You know what, folks? This is the hard part of this whole passage and understanding what's going on here. This is where grace meets the law. And we have a lot of troubles with that, don't we? Understanding grace and the law, how they are the same, but they're not the same. They're a whole lot alike, but they're not the same. And yet they're both here, and they're both fulfilled. The carnal mind of the flesh is hostile to God, but the way of the Spirit living in us empowers us with the life to overcome this flesh, to overcome the part that's not right. Listen to what Paul writes in a few verses later in Romans 8. He says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. Now, he's talking to his audience now, and he's talking to you too. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're not in the flesh. That's a hard thing to get, isn't it? You're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. And in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. You want that life? You can have it abundantly through Jesus Christ who lives in you through the Holy Spirit. His scripture promises that. It's not me. He says that. Through the prophet Jeremiah, which we've been reading this week. I love it. Um, pulled out 31. He said he, God gave us a great promise. He, said, he, he says he will make a new covenant on the hearts of the people. I love this. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I will put my law within them. This is God talking to through Jeremiah. He says, I'll put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Wow. We get that on the side of the cross, don't we? 
Amen? Any amens in here? Good. What God is saying is that he's making a whole new covenant that is not on stones anymore. I love that part where he says, convert my, uh, circumcise my heart of stone, making it a heart of flesh. That's so he can write on our hearts of flesh. Jesus Christ does that, but he did that through this covenant. It actually says here, Jeremiah, in original words, it said it's engraved on our hearts so that nobody can take it away, and he will live in their hearts, he says right here. The day is here now, isn't it, through Jesus Christ, where he actually lives in us, engraving his law on our hearts. Whoa. So let's just summarize all this we just said. And I want you to take this and I want you to mill it over and really read through this passage and think on this where, the, where grace and the law come together through Jesus Christ because grace does some great things for the law and law does some great things for grace, doesn't it? They actually complement each other. What's the relationship of the Christian to the law? Okay. The Christian is no longer under the law, granted. In the sense that the law is a covenant of works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? That's what scripture says and that's what we believe. And that's really what Galatians 3 is all about. The Christian is not under the law and in that respect his salvation is not, does not depend on his keeping the law. Because we're not under it anymore. He's been, been delivered from the curse of the law. You see, the law provides a curse on us. It's a curse of death. And there's a covenant relationship between himself and God. That law is. But, the, but that does not release him from its rule on life. What are we going to do? How do we get out of this? Oh, how we get confused when we think that the law and the grace are opposites. They're not. It's true, uh, there was a covenant of the law and now there's a covenant of grace, but they are not opposites. Hmm, got someone's attention, didn't it? No one could ever save himself by keeping the law. No one is perfect. So the law was never meant to save anyone. Did you know that? God gave the law not for us to be saved, so that we could see who he is and how we can't come before him on his terms. We need something. We need a savior, don't we? We need something to come between us to save us so that we can come to God because he wants us. He said that. You know, the law was given 430 years after the promise to Abraham so that he could show the true character of God and who we are to come before. And the law was given so that we can see that there is no way back to God without a Savior. We need a way back, and it's Jesus Christ. Paul said, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we no longer serve under a tutor. Cool, huh? You feel relief? Huh? You feel like someone just turned on the lights? I hope so. <laughs> We're not going to step off into that, are we? So, see, the law is in our teacher, and it points us to the grace, to the grace of Jesus Christ. 
We can't, we can't say that we're under grace and the law doesn't affect us. Uh, if that were true, we could go on sinning. And a lot of people try that one, don't they? Can't do that. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul asks? And then he says, holy mackerel, no. I wish I could put that in, 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 in the Greek. It's like, no! I, I don't know how to, how to say it better. But he, he says, are we to continue so that grace may abound? By no means. How can, we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Yeah. The purpose of grace is to help us keep God's law. Huh. This is where a lot of Christians get a wrong idea about holiness. Too many people think holiness and sanctification are, are an experience to be received. Not so. Holiness is not an, ex an experience that happens or happens over and over again. Her sanctification is, is, is a series of experiences. It is a process. And let me tell you what. Jesus Christ, who died for us, we stand before a holy God today. And he is working in our lives to bring us closer to God so that someday we're going to stand before him without sin because Jesus Christ has taken that sin away. Amen? Amen. 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 That's the amen of people who know him that you're hearing. I want you to know that what sinners say by grace. Holiness means being righteous. And being righteous means keeping the law. If someone tells you they have received grace but does not keep God's law, they've had nothing but a psychological experience. Stone me now. But that's the truth. Grace is that marvelous gift of God that has delivered us from the curse of the law and enables us to be righteous as Christ was righteous. And you know what? Christ was perfectly righteous. He kept the law perfectly, didn't he? Grace is what brings me to love God. And loving God, I long to keep his commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 1 John 14, 1. Oh, you ever struggle with that one? How am I going to keep his commandments? Whoa, I keep blowing it. You know what? I keep trying. And I don't want to do wrong. Amen? Amen. Yeah. yeah. I told you this before. One, of the, one guy that I, I worked with years ago, 40 years ago, just gotten out of prison. He came to Christ. And, uh, and they said, man, he's a different guy, entirely different. He was living for Christ. And, and someone says, Vic, what is the difference? I mean, this whole thing, he was really caught up in the, the big sin culture. I said, Vic, what's happened? He says, well, you see, now I don't have to sin. We don't have to sin anymore, folks. It's Jesus Christ who saved us. You know, we must never separate grace. And... Uh, we can't make grace sentimental. Can't do that. And holiness is not an experience. Holiness is perfect. It is God. We have to have this new mind, the mind of Christ. That's what we keep praying for around here. I want to have the mind of Christ that leads us to love the law and desire to keep it. And by his power, he enables us to fulfill the law. That's why Jesus said in verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments 
<coughs> and teaches others to do the same <coughs> will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say this law. <coughs> Sorry. He didn't say that the law is, is for the next three years while I'm here. God didn't do that. He gave the law to be forever and ever. He affirms it later in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. That's scary, isn't it? You know, I've had pastors tell me that's the scariest verse in the Bible. It is. I just want to fall down before my Lord every day and do what he says. Are you that same way? You know what? I blow it. I do. Ask any of the guys that work closely with me. We blow it, don't we? I do. But you know what? I go to my Lord and say, okay, Lord, now what? What do we do wrong? What do we do right? How do we keep going? Not man's way. Not man's way. Your way, Lord. Amen. Your way. You're the one we want to follow. Because he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How many people have asked me, but I want to know what the will of the Father is. You want to know what the will of God is? His law. That's what he gave us to show us who he is. It's his law, and that's his will. We need to follow his law. And Jesus Christ is the one who leads us there. We need to be following him in everything that we do. God's law has never gone away. Jesus affirms that here, didn't he? It's still there, folks. It's going to be there until the, till the earth goes away at the end. Paul reminds us of our, of our blessed hope. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Oh, there's a whole book on that one, folks. Waiting on our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Wow, missed that part, didn't we, before? We need to be zealous for good works because we love the Lord and we want to follow his will, which is in the law. Wow, all this time back together? Hmm. So Jesus closes this passage that we're talking about here this morning. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. How do we do that? Through Jesus Christ. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? This is a hard passage. I, I warned you before we started, before I told you a silly story. This is a hard passage where grace and the law meet. And yet, if it wasn't for grace, we wouldn't be able to observe the law, would we? And if it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't need grace. Oh, we got to have them all, don't we? You know, it's, this is hard passage, but it's a glorious one, isn't it? Where we get to see the glory and the holiness that we get to have through Jesus Christ. 
looking at the law and the prophets and seeing them all fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is all of it. I hope you have a deeper understanding of grace as you meditate on this, as you continue to read it, and I hope you will. And I hope you have seen a, a vivid picture of Jesus Christ dying on that cross for you and me, taking away our sins because we're not holy, but now we are through him because our sins are gone. Jesus Christ did that for you and me. No way to do it without him. Jesus did that. This glorious, redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, all of our sins are completely and totally satisfied. God is satisfied that they're gone through Jesus. Yours are. You know what? If you've never, ever said, Jesus, I need you. I want you. Come into my heart. Save me from this do it now Jesus is going to come back he promises us that too and when he comes back he's going to take his children home and if you're one of his praise the Lord for that we're going to go home to be with him but if you're not it doesn't look good folks because it'd be horrible to be eternally cast away from God to live in sin forever and ever that's called godlessness. It's called hell. That's not what anybody wants. And there's only one way out, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, do it now. And here's the thing. If you have people in your life that you want to share this gospel with and you haven't done it, ask him to give you the power and the strength of his word and what we said here this morning to explain the gospel, to show them Jesus living in you and the holiness that he's given you, even though you're living in the flesh, you can have his holiness forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Through Jesus Christ. Oh, let's pray that together and let's share him with all around us, celebrating that joy and that love. Lord, <coughs> we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, that we have your gift that you gave us when you died on the cross. Lord, to know that we can come before a holy God as holy children of God because you've taken all of our sins and God has poured out his wrath on them. They've been cast away. So, Lord, we can love the law knowing who God is, looking at the law and seeing, Lord, yes, Yes, we see our God and we love the law. There's so many people who know that and written in the New Testament and the Old Testament both, Lord. We love your law because we love God, because he loved us first through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, praise you for the gospel message that we see here this morning. Thank you, Lord, and give us the, the strength, the wisdom, and the knowledge to share it with all around us. Lord, you be glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 We're going to sing a, a song, of a hymn of response, Our God. And you know what? If the Lord's moving in you, if you want to stand, yeah, let's do that. It's a whole lot easier to stand, I think, and praise God. Our God. If the Lord's moving in your heart.
and these words are speaking to you this morning, feel free to share that. This is a time of testimony too. Your response is a testimony to God. Whether it's right there in your seat, standing there in your heart, you have anything you want to share, let's do that. As we sing this response to our God, our holy God.